May be seated. Thank you, Casey, for leading us so well in corporate worship of our Lord. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Psalm chapter 46. These weeks in between our 60-some week-long study of Hebrews and our upcoming series on God's providence, which will be in the first Sunday in September, Lord willing, uh, we're looking at five Psalms this Sunday. Next Sunday, we'll be looking at Psalm number 90, if you want to be looking ahead at the Song of Moses, a very unique psalm, and we look forward to that. But let us hear now the Word of the Lord is inspired by His Holy Spirit. Let's stand one more time and honor the reading of God's Word. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of God, of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord... Forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, I pray now that you would help us to be serious, minded about a serious topic. What you tell us about yourself and about how you love us and how you protect us and how you are our shield and our fortress. God, I pray that those here this morning who are maybe struggling with anxiety, they may be struggling with their faith, Lord, that they would see your goodness, your greatness, and your mercy in this text, God, and they would be strengthened, that they would run into you this morning and find refuge. Maybe they've had a, a rough week, a rough month, a rough year, a rough, they're having a rough life, God. They're, they are struggling with some sin, relationships, or many other things that, God, I pray that they would be nourished and strengthened and encouraged by this psalm. Because you give your word to us, Lord, as a convicting, a convicting reality and also a healing balm, Lord. So do your work in us now so that we might be transformed this morning from one level of glory to another. And God, if there be those here today who do not know you, I pray that today, Lord, that this text where it speaks of your coming judgment, Lord, and your righteousness, that it would strike terror into the hearts. And they would seek shelter in Christ in the only place it can be found. And that this very day they would come to know you as Lord and Savior. And God, they would no longer live for their own glory but for yours. Now, Father, give me the ability to unpack this text clearly now and give us eyes to see and ears to hear great things from your law. We might live every moment of our lives to glorify you and enjoy you forever. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. 
Amen. Well, I said a couple weeks ago we'd sung of him that I love, and I said, I can, I can die in peace now. Well, this morning, if I feel the same way. The, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Is there a greater hymn in all of Christian hymnody than that song? Now, I started out with Led Zeppelin last week, so we're not going to do that this week. This is far greater, okay? So don't want you to confuse the songs. I'm just second week in a row of the song, but a mighty fortress is our God, my favorite hymn. I've told my family not to be morbid, but if I die before you do, please make sure that is sung at my funeral because I serve a God who is mighty over all, and so do you. And so this morning, as we look at this psalm, and we could call it Luther's psalm because this is the psalm, Psalm 46, that inspired Luther to write the great, we call it the great hymn of the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. Luther, one of the great fathers of the Reformation, and God used mightily to bring about one of the greatest revivals in the history of the church. Well, this song was part of that, written in 1527. And the context is very, very important because we can relate to this a little bit. And I'll, say, I'll tell you what I mean by a little bit in just a moment. There was a plague raging through Europe, but it wasn't COVID. Okay, I said that word. I don't like to say that word anymore. You know that there. I said it. But it was the Black Plague. And the Black Plague, most historians think, lasted about probably about 200 years, somewhere, somewhere in that uh, that number of years, from 1350 to about 1550. And it killed between 100 million and 200 million people, estimate. Didn't keep good statistics back then, like we do now, right? We didn't have the internet and all the, you know, spreadsheet and all that stuff. Think about that. And it wasn't a disease you got and, you know, in 24 hours you felt better. You had a sore throat and a headache and you were done with it, right? This was a real plague, not that ours is not a real plague, but this was a real plague. Because within 24 to 48 hours of contracting it, you could expect to be dead 100% of the time. This was not a plague. This was not a set of germs that played games with us. And so, as a historian, you'll have to excuse me if I'm not quite as impressed with the COVID virus, okay? It's a plague. I'm not as impressed as I am with this. And so it's hard to imagine a more stressful time in the history of the church, really indeed in human history, when you know if you contracted this disease, if you went to Kroger and you got this disease, didn't have your mask on, well, then you would die within 24 to 48 hours. I can't imagine a more stressful time. And pastors, what did they do? Well, they went and did what pastors do. They cared for their people. And what did churches do? Well, they did what they do. They met together for worship and they trusted God. And so this is not a commentary on any of that. It's just what they did. They continued on, and many of them died. Many Christians died. But, but so this was the context which Luther sought solace in this Psalm 46 and wrote this great hymn. He said, when the hour is very dark, Luther said, come, let us sing the 46th Psalm. Spurgeon said the same thing. So I'm hoping this morning, I know last week it was uh, Psalm 1, it was very, rather convicting, but this morning I want you to be encouraged. I want you to, to get just a glimpse as we think about and prepare our hearts to study the providence of God. I want you to get just a glimpse of this holy, righteous, all-powerful God that we're here this morning to worship. That's really why we come every, it is why we come every Sunday, I don't know really about it, I want to qualify it, we come here to worship Him, don't we? It's this God spoken of in Psalm 46. And now you may be suffering. If you're not now, you will be in the future, of course, because that's part of the call of the Christian. And James told us, as almost, we almost think this is morbid probably in our day and age, but he said, when we suffer, that we are to count it all joy. 
And you think, how in the world, pastor, could I ever count it joy to suffer affliction? If you're a Christian, Psalm 46 tells us precisely how we can be confident and not freak out and lose our bearings if and when suffering, affliction, anxiety comes into our lives. We live in a fallen world. That's just part of living here, right? There's a country song, and of course, you know, I couldn't get through this without quoting at least one country song. And so, so it sounds like life to me. Some of us need to hear that, don't we? We whine and complain about things, but we live in a fallen world. We should be surprised that it's not far worse, you know. It's just life. The things that we complain about, it's really life. And if we know this God of Psalm 46, then we have to ask ourselves, should we be complaining at all? Now, this was penned by the sons of Korah, divided into three stanzas, uh, each ending in the word Selah, Selah, as some said, out to the right in your Bibles. It probably is a, a pause and a music for, for meditation, for contemplation, but it's a meditation on the goodness and the grace of God, and that's what I want you to take away this morning, the goodness of God. And if you don't know this God, I want you to see what you're missing. If there's nothing massive at the center of your life that anchors your life, which everybody needs, I want you to see, just get a, a glimpse of this anchor, this anchor of your soul. And I want you to fly to that fountain we sung about last week, filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, this mighty fortress, this fountain of Christ, and be saved and be converted and come to this God who's full of mercy and grace. So this morning I want to see three truths about God as our protector, as our, as our mighty fortress. That's what I'm talking about my sermon. Our God is a mighty fortress. And the first thing is this, and I see this in the first three verses. Our mighty God is a safe shelter even if the world falls apart. As I've said the last couple of weeks, it's easy to feel beleaguered, especially as a Christian now in our culture, isn't it? It's easy to feel like everything's just falling apart. If you read the, I, I, this week I tried to stay out of the news because it discourages me so much. My newsfeed is just full of garbage. It's just full of suffering and sin. I mean, the streets declare the sinfulness of man, right? But this psalmist is here to tell us that our God, our mighty God, is a safe shelter even when the world falls apart. And if it's not falling apart now, it will. It will. We're, we're hurtling toward the end, aren't we? We're going to see that later. But he says, your God is our refuge, our strength, a very present help in trouble. Are you in trouble today or are you troubled Here's your help. Here's your help. This God, I mean, the God of the prosperity gospel, he's too small. That God is not very big, is he? If he can just give me money and a full bank account, that God's not very big. One of my old friends used to say, recently died, and went home to be the Lord, my former church, he said, Jeff, if money can fix it, it ain't a problem. Right? God is a mighty fortress. He's all we need, right? If you have him and you're in him, he's what you need. He is your refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. We could almost go home right now, couldn't we? But we shan't. We'll stay and unpack this psalm. Luther called him a bulwark and never failing. He's under you and around you. He has you. He's a bulwark. He's holding you up. I was fascinated by the bridges here in Louisville. Those pillars, those pillars out there. How do they get those pillars in the river? In like 1946, right? Without our technology. But they did. And when I walk across there, I feel safe because that bulwark is holding us up, right? And that's the picture here. God, he is holding you up. No matter what storm is blowing into or through your life, he is holding you up. He is your refuge. You can run into him. He and no other. Nothing, nothing, nothing in the universe can compare to this refuge. Nothing. 
But our strength, we look to our strength in lots of things, don't we? Our strength is not in soldiers and having a massive army in this country or in other countries. It's not in earthly fortresses. It's not in locked iron gates. We move to a gated community, we'll be just fine. No, you can tear down gates. Crawl under over gates, right? It's not having the right man in the White House. I know, boy, some of us are really vexed about this, but it's not that. That's not our refuge. That's a pathetic refuge. If that's your refuge, let me correct that. Let the psalmist, not me, the psalmist, the wisdom of the Bible, correct that this is our refuge, right? It's our mighty God, our sovereign Lord. God is our refuge when trouble strikes in this fallen world, and it will. If it's not today, it will. Tomorrow, Tuesday. Wednesday, it will, because you live in a world that's full of sin and death, and that's why you cling to Him. You have this fortress to run into. And what effect should this have on us? Well, it's, it should be sanctifying for us. It should, it should humble us that this God stepped out of heaven and came and clothed Himself in human flesh and died in our place for our sins. That God, the God spoken of right here in Psalm 46. Our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. I mean, we tend to think, well, if we only have enough money, we'll be secure. We have enough land, we have a bigger, bigger house. But what did Jesus say in one of those striking verses in, in, in the, the Gospels? And to the rich man, he said, in Luke 12, 19, the rich man said, you know, I've got all these things. I've got barns. I should build more barns. I don't know. I've got plenty. i got all I need. Jesus said, you have plenty of things laid up for many years. Or this, the man said to himself, take easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus said, you fool. You fool. You're going to die tomorrow. And whose will these things be, right? It's just stuff. And everybody in here has stuff. The poorest seminary student who comes here, you've got a lot of stuff. You've got an iPhone, right? Don't give me that. I've been a poor seminary student. And I'm compared to people in other countries, yeah, I had a lot of stuff. I threw a bunch of it away and I moved. And I'll have to throw a bunch of it away and I move again, right? Fool. Let's not eat, drink, and be merry tomorrow. You die because tonight your life will be required of you. What is the center of your life? If your life were required of you tonight, what is your foundation? What is your life built upon? Where is your shelter? Where are you running? When, when life hits the fan, where are you running? Where did your heart go? Maybe you're not running. Maybe you're here. You're putting on a happy face. But where does your heart go? That's the real question. Jesus said the man's a fool. Since in the end death comes. And he must stand before God in, in final judgment. We're going to get to that at the end of this. But money cannot protect us from God's judgment. And I need to hear this. I'm preaching to me this morning too. Because sometimes I can get the idea a full bank account makes me feel better. Makes you sleep better at night, and sometimes it does. And what a disgrace that is. I need to come back to Psalm 46, don't I? I think we all do. I mean, the writer of Proverbs, what does he say about money? It's kind of funny. It takes wings and it flies away. If you've got a big family, you know it takes wings and flies away. Your kids, and you know, if you're paying tuition or for somebody or something, yeah, it takes wings and flies away. Well, you wouldn't want it any other way, would you? I wouldn't. But it does take wings and fly away. So we can't put our hope in that, can we? It's not our strong fortress. It's no matter how much we're, how little we have. And we think that high degrees of education or talents, that's our security. Even in seminary. We go to seminary, we think, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to be bringing all my gifts to some church. And they're going to, you know, maybe I can, I can make a lot of money. You know, I can, they need to pay me more. They don't pay me what I'm worth. I hope I never say that to you. If I do, 
You can smack me in Jesus' name. Can remind me about this sermon today, okay? So just tell my wife and she'll do that for you. Our shelter is in ministry, out of ministry, in, in, in regular, as I call it, regular life. It can't protect us from God's judgment. I mean, Solomon points out in Ecclesiastes. Remember that series we did a few years ago in Ecclesiastes? What did he say? He said, you're going to lose it all. No matter how much you have, you're going to lose 100% out of 100% of your goods and your relationships and everything. You're going to lose it all. And it's not a sin to have it. I'm not suggesting it is. And I'm thankful we have people in this church and every place I've been in ministry, they really uphold the church that way and I'm thankful. They use their money well. Not a sin to have money or things. But it doesn't have you. We've talked about that, right? But you're going to lose it. Kids, you're going to lose your parents someday. I've lost both of mine. When I was your age, I, I thought I'd never lose. I thought they'll be here forever, but they're not. Death is part of life in a fallen world, right? You're going to lose your husband, ladies. Husbands, you're going to lose your wives. You can't keep it. That's the whole story of Ecclesiastes. That's why this, this mighty fortress, this must be your treasure. He must be your portion forever. God needs your help. We see security in relationships or family or friends, but relationships are fragile. I mean, how much you appreciate maybe a longtime friend, but we know our friends can be swept away. A friend of mine two years ago, 52 years old, went to bed perfectly healthy, played in a basketball league at his age, and man, he was in great shape. I was envious, and he didn't wake up. He woke up in heaven. He woke up in heaven. Life is a vapor. But we have this help, this stronghold, and, and these are promises right here from the Word of God. And we get two kinds of help. God is a stronghold, a refuge. I mean, think here of Helm's Deep, you Lord of the Ring nerds out there, right? Think of Helm's Deep. What happened to Helm's Deep? I think that's the picture. The orcs came, and what happened? They, they tore a lot of it down. So, you know, God is not Helm's Deep. He, he may, that's kind of the idea, right? Helm's Deep was meant to stand forever, but it didn't. It works toward it down. It works. They weren't very smart people, right? Think of the think of the Goths that sacked Rome. I think that's you know, I think that's where Tolkien had partly what he had in mind. <laughs> but he's God is indestructible. I mean, this is one of those indestructible rooms you have in a, you know if you live in a place like Alabama that has tornadoes all the time, right? God is, but God is indestructible. Sometimes God shields us from what's going on around us. It can be said of us as Psalm 91, 7 and 8 says, A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. In difficult times, God is our fortress. And you may say, well, that sounds awfully close to the prosperity gospel. No. That's the word of God. And that's not the prosperity gospel, right? There are times God is protecting you from who knows what. I wonder how many times, I've often wondered, you know, I travel a lot going on vacation or going to Georgia where my family is, and I wonder how many times I've been kept from a deadly wreck. I wonder how many times I've been kept from something as, as mundane as a flat tire. Those trips go awfully smooth. And my family, what do we do when we get back? We, we thank the Lord, don't we? Because we know many times he's my refuge even when nothing's wrong he's always my refuge and I wonder how many times he's kept me back from from uh some germs that would have killed me something would have formed cancer in my body I don't know but he doesn't always do that does he 
And when he doesn't, when he chooses not to, he's your shelter. It's, he's the same yesterday, then, and forever, right? No matter what you're going through. In Birmingham, you've heard me say this lots of times. We had an F5 tornado. I watched from my yard because I did what a smart country boy does. I went outside when the warning came. I had to see this thing. I mean, I was never going to get a chance to see this again. And man, it was, it was massive. And it didn't kill us. It killed somebody. It killed 100 people in our area that night. God protected us from it. Was it because I claimed it or I'm better than other Christians? No, it just simply his good pleasure. I don't know why. And you're sitting here this morning, most of you in good health, you're looking good, and you're here because God brought you. You're here because he's your shelter and your refuge every single day of your life in ways you, 10,000 ways you don't even see. Of course, we may run to him in times of suffering or need, when we need protection from our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, the three true enemies we have, the enemies of our soul, we run where? We run to Christ. We run to God. He's also a source of inner strength when, so we can face the worst calamities, a very present help in trouble. I don't know how many times I've run to this verse when things have gone wrong in my life and said, you're a very present help in trouble, and I lean on these promises. And this tells me about the character and the attributes of God. We're going to, as we see the, we study the providence of God, we're going to, just by, by logical connection, we're going to, logical extension, we're going to, extend, we're going to study some of his attributes as well. It's, it's a matter of comfort. And honestly, I, I don't think there's ever been a more important sermon series I've preached in 24 years of ministry than I will preach beginning next month. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. It will give you comfort because it's the Lord of God, not because I'm going to do something to comfort you, but it will comfort you like nothing else, knowing that God is absolutely, meticulously sovereign. So that is our dear brother R.C. Sproul loved to say there's not one mavic molecule in all of creation that successfully rebels against its creator. If that doesn't comfort you, you can't be comforted. And that's the idea. That's this God who's the refuge in our strength here. I mean, the psalm imagines a return of chaos here. This, he says here, therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Can you imagine the earth that looks, the solid ground you have beneath your feet caving in? You see these stories on the news all the time about these sinkholes? And now I'm kind of paranoid about sinkholes. I had some water come up in my basement here a while back. It turned out to be a leak from somewhere else in the house, thankfully. But I wonder, is there a sinkhole here? And I was wondering, laying in bed and I'm thinking, I wonder if I'm going to fall down tonight. We will not fear, though the earth gives way, right? Though we have a sinkhole, we won't fear. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. If creation just descends into utter chaos, the, the creation, the ordered creation that God made just redescends into the chaos before creation, we won't fear. That's what he's saying here. I mean, I, I can't imagine what that would look like, even a sinkhole, right? <laughs> but we won't fear about Job. We're going to look at, examine Job more carefully in a series on providence, the entire book and five or six sermons, Lord willing. What an unimaginable calamity. You could almost say that's a personal holocaust, can't you, wouldn't you? He lost everything he had. He lost his children. They all died. They were killed in a tornado. Dead. One afternoon, gone. Imagine going home and you're your babies, your, your children, they're gone. And then his wife. His wife said, Job, do you keep here? you still trusting in God? Just curse God and die. So she went over to the dark side. Job lost it all. 
And what was his response? Well, he had a pretty pathetic response at places later on in the book. But what was his initial response? That the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job worshipped not in spite of his affliction, but Job worshipped out of his affliction because God was a refuge. Even though the mountains be thrown into the heart of the sea, Job is saying, we will trust the Lord. And later in the book of Job, he says, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Is that the cry of your heart today? Or are you trusting in something else? Is there that sinner at the, at the heart of your life that has you anchored, that you anchor yourself, your life, your soul, you're all into? Or is there something else? Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The bottom line, we will not fear even if the world collapses. We will not need to fear if the world collapses. Though we do, we shouldn't, but we do, I know, and I do too, but we don't need to fear. We may be amid personal collapses. Our nation appears to be amid political and social collapse. The Christian faith is under assault from all sides, isn't it? Boy, is it ever going to less popular to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And I'm in a serious follower of Christ. But God is king. He's on the throne this morning, this very morning. When that tornado hit Birmingham, there were 263 people killed. And it was a national story. You read about it, 2011, I'm sure. You saw it on TV. Greatest outbreak in, tornado outbreak in American history. And the news stations came. They came to my church and several other churches. And they, because on our sign, we would put, where is God? Or where was God? And that morning they came and they took a little snippet out of my sermon. And I appreciated it, put it on TV that said God was at the same place that he was when he nailed his son to a tree. You want a scandal? It's not the tornado that killed 263 people. It's the, it's the love that nailed him to a tree on our behalf. That's a scandal. That's the love of God for you and for me, isn't it? And that's how he's our refuge and our strength. And though the earth give way, though the mountains, I'm from the mountains of North Georgia, though those mountains appear like outside Savannah someday, we won't fear because of him. Because he is sovereign and mighty and good. He could be sovereign and not good. And we, it would be a different kind of fear we should have for him. But he is sovereign and he is good, right? As Lewis put it in Chronicles of Narnia, he is not tame. I think Mr. Beaver said it. He's not tame of Aslan, who's the, the Christ figure. He's not tame, is he? We want to domesticate him. We have domesticated him in, in churches in America, but he is not tame. He may put you through the ride of your life so you will trust him more. But you can flat trust him. Second main point. Our mighty God is a defender against all his people's enemies. Verses 4 to 8. In this second stanza, the psalmist emphasizes God's defense of his city, Jerusalem, which I think has two points of reference. He calls it the city of God here. And he's speaking here of two realities, just like in the, in the book of Hebrews that we looked at for a long time over the last few months. The earthly city of Jerusalem won because the immediate occasion of the psalm was probably some great intervention of God to destroy enemy armies that were invading Jerusalem, the holy city. More on that in just a moment. But the people of Jerusalem were secure because God was in their midst. Secure. The holy habitation, that's the temple. Of course, what is the temple now? It's you, right? You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And the temple is secure. You are secure. We are secure in Him. The earthly city of Jerusalem, that's what he's speaking of here. But, I mean, the psalmist paints a beautiful picture of peace and safety in Jerusalem. 
in verses 2 and 3, God's dwelling place, the holy city, but more so in us. And that's the second reference. I think the second sense here is the spiritual Jerusalem. He's speaking of the, the immediate city of God. But the city of God has come and dwells inside us. The kingdom dwells in you. In the church. When you see Israel in the Old Testament, think of the church in the New Testament. Very easy, aren't they? Just one, almost, almost in most cases. So sometimes it's merely ethnic Israel, of course. In the new Jerusalem, the new land, the final dwelling place that Christians will inhabit at the end of time, a land in which there will be no more sin or no more death, no more enemies. They'll be vanquished because of the cross of Jesus Christ. They've been vanquished for you right now. The spiritual Jerusalem is the city for which Abraham looked. Not a mere earthly Jerusalem, spoken of in Hebrews 11, the city with foundation whose architect and builder of God. That's the city Abraham was looking for. That's the city we're looking for. That's the city, the kingdom. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say, remember, chapter 12, verse 28, that's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. All this shaking going on, all around us, with the city of God, the kingdom of God, beloved, it cannot be shaken fortress run into it flee into it today oh but we're at war aren't we we're not at peace yet we can't live in this world as if we're at peace so we're not the church at rest we're the church at war because the war began against God's people in Genesis chapter 3 I think that's the seed of the man and the seed of the woman I think that's where the war starts and lasts in, throughout the span of human history we get to the end of the book of Revelation, victory comes and the church is at peace, but the church is at rest, but not now. We live between the times, right? The already and the not yet. So we can't rest on our laurels because, well, we're just going to, we suffer, we'll just trust God. Yes, we do trust God. We have a living faith, don't we? We still use the means of grace and we reach out to people, we preach the word, we do all these kinds of things, but we're always cognizant of this war that began in us, the war on God's people. The seed of the woman, the seed of the serpent. They're at war until the end of time. But lo, his doom is sure, Luther said, right? Satan's doom is sure. The enemy of your soul, his doom is sure. It was sealed at Calvary. The seed of the woman, oh, he was crushed for you. But in his crushing, he crushed the head of the serpent. The serpent only has a very limited power and a very limited time. He will expire. There's an expiration date on Satan. Just like the potted ham that you have this picture on, right? <laughs> well, we've done a real favor to him to make him look that foolish and silly, haven't we? The serious enemy. This is why you need the church. Spurgeon said, this church, the church is like a well-ordered city surrounded with mighty walls of truth and justice, garrisoned by omnipotence, strongly built by infinite wisdom. That's why the church is so important. Why we say, well, you don't just do Lone Ranger Christians. Why you need to be here? Under the preaching of the Word of God, Sunday in and Sunday out. Like I love to tell you, make church your excuse for missing other things. Instead of telling me, well, you know, we had to, whatever. Need the church. Because it's a means of grace to you. God's mighty fortress. You're part of the church. I mean, the universal church, of course, and the local church. You need the church. What earthly circumstances are behind God's defense of Jerusalem? Well, Two main theories, and this, I only say to I give you this because it's, it's illustrative of his protection of his people. And you, us. It's either the destruction of the, army, of the armies of, of, of Ammon or Moab or Mount Sire during the reign of Jehoshaphat 
in 2 Chronicles 21 to 3. It may be that. Jehoshaphat was told that the armies from the east were coming against him. They were riding in against him. He prayed that God would help him and God would promise to deliver the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In fact, God told them what? Go fight. I've got this. He said, no, do nothing. Just go stand on a high mountain and watch. This is what God did. Go watch. And so God stirred up a division between the armies of Ammon and uh, Ammon and Moab, and then they turned against the soldiers of Sire, and they annihilated each other. God brought a spirit of confusion among those armies, and they annihilated each other. Didn't lay a finger on God's people. It could be that. What a great illustration, though. Or it could be, and it really doesn't matter, the destruction of the army of the Assyrian king Sennacherib during the reign of Hezekiah, spoken of in 2 Kings 18 and 19. Sennacherib's field commander stood before the walls of Jerusalem and called out for the people of Jerusalem, the people of God, to surrender. He said, the gods of all the cities we've destroyed up to now have not protected them. What makes you think, what makes you so naive to think this God of yours will be able to protect you, to defeat us? Extremely arrogant and extremely confident was Sennacherib's field commander. So he sent a letter to King Hezekiah boasting about this. Hezekiah was frightened, but he took the letter, spread it out before the Lord in the temple and prayed. What did God do? Prophet Isaiah tells us that God said he would defend the city and that Sennacherib would return to Nineveh and die, and he did. God's people were protected. And you say, well, I don't feel very protected sometimes. Well, you have new life in Christ. Death can't touch you, Right? The worst thing can happen to you today, humanly speaking, death, but it can't touch you. You can look death in the eye and say with Paul, O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? Right? Because you've run into this shelter, this ark of safety. Noah, he was in the ark of safety, but you're, you're in a far greater ark of safety when you've come to Christ. One of those two things is the backdrop here, and I share that with you just because those are wonderful illustrations God's love for and protection of his people and his power. Verse 6, he says, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. Godless nations, we know this from just from human history. Godless nations rage against their creator. Nations come and nations go. God raises them up and he lays them low. He relegates them to the dustbin of history. Where, oh, where can you find ancient Assyria today? Let's do the roll call here. Assyria. Not here. Gone. God destroyed Assyria. Ancient Babylon. Ancient Babylon wouldn't last forever, right? Ancient Babylon. Anyone seen Babylon lately? Babylon here? No? no Babylon's absent. What about Persia? Ancient Persia. Well, it's got no. They replaced Babylon. Well, it's scratched that one off. How about ancient Greece? Roman Empire, surely the Roman Empire. Come on, I mean, Roman Empire, it's going to last forever, right? Defeated by a bunch of hooligans. God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? He destroyed the Roman Empire. The Third Reich, it lasted 12 years. 12 years. Pathetic, isn't it? Think of the Soviet Union. Ronald Reagan, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. Well, God tore down the wall, 1989. USSR is no more. You say, that's right. 
And they'll ask you about this. I'll ask you this. We're get close to home. What about our country? Will we be relegated to the dustbin of history? Yes, I think we will. Today, I don't know. We can be arrogant. We can shake our hands in God's face, our fists in God's face, and we can say, well, we've got military mind, and we have technology, and we have we figured out sexuality and gender and all this. So we've got it all figured out, and God will just laugh. Flick us away like a little bug that we flick off of ourselves, right? just a flea. He's a mighty God. He's the mighty God. Psalm 2, I love this, 1, 4, and 6. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? He who sits in heaven wrings his hands. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, man, who are you to talk back to the creator? The, the clay talk back to the potter. He sits in heaven and he laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, After me, I have set my king. I have set my king in Zion. I have set my king on the holy hill. It's this king. It's this king. He laughs. America, and I love this country, and I'm grateful for this country. Raised here, and so grateful. We've got so much to be thankful for. God's been so good to us. Thankful for all the men who've, and women who've given their lives to keep us free. Absolutely. But is God impressed with us? Does God need us? No. It's just going to go one day if he wants to. What he's done throughout history, right? Because he's our fortress. He is our kingdom. The kingdom's come. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The Lord taught us to pray that, right? His kingdom come. It is final. It's the final kingdom. One day yet to be consummated. Our defender, verses 5 to 7, says. I mean, the point of the psalm is, doesn't hinge on which one of those, which one of those choices it is, which event it is, by the way. But the truth is this. God alone is our defense. Our ultimate security does not rest in any earthly city, but in a heavenly city built and defended by God. So we can confidently say God is in our midst. We shall not be moved. God will be our help when the morning dawns. And he says that very intentionally about the morning because military campaigns commence when? Usually in the morning. Now typically you rest. And then they go at it again in the morning, right? My dad said they'd get up and fought in World War II. They'd look for the Germans in the morning. Usually. That's it. They, you can wake up in the morning no matter what's facing you on a given day. You dread some days in your life. God is my fortress. He is my shield. And that's the picture. You're going to go to war. You're going to buckle on the, the, the sword of the spirit. And you're going to buckle on all the pieces of the armor. You're going to go to war every single day of your life. God's called you to attack the day with confidence, knowing He is your shield and your fortune, and your, He is your mighty fortress. Nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters His voice, and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He will help her when the morning dawns. Every day when you wake up, who's your help? Where does your help come from? From the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, right? Every single day of your life. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That's the point of the whole psalm, which he repeats again in verse 11. And finally, my third and final 
point, main point is our mighty God is a place of peace and rest when the world around us is at war. And I just said, because of Genesis 3, we live in that period of war. We have, our God is a place of peace and rest. They say, I don't feel very rested. Where are you finding your rest? Is it Him? Him alone? We're going to get to Psalm 112 in a couple weeks, Lord William. Talk about how God's man, God, the man who's anchored in God, the woman's anchored in God, they're not afraid of bad news. And I need to hear that because I don't like to be surprised. Ask my family, well, I don't like surprises very much. Surprise birthday party, I'm getting old enough now that that gives me like a heart attack. Don't do that. <laughs> no, I don't like surprises, but when bad news comes, and it does, we don't need to fear. And really, it piggybacks on this perfectly. He's saying here, the psalmist is saying, look, God is sovereign. Look at what God has created. Look at how he has protected his people and destroyed his enemies. Look at his power. Look at his glory. Look to him. Him. He's brought desolations on the earth, verse 8 says. Literally, there's destroyers, he destroys. The desolators, he desolates. Literally, Hebrew, that's what he's saying. The destroyers, he destroys. The desolators, he desolates. When he used Assyria to to chasten his people, what did he do then? He turned on Assyria, and he destroyed Assyria, didn't he? Once God's people turned back, he destroyed Assyria. He will destroy the destroyers, the desolators. He desolates the godless nations of Assyria and Babylon and others have been destroyed are our instructors. God's people, God's people are unable to be destroyed. Like I love to say, we'll get to Psalm 139 in three weeks, Lord willing. You are immortal so God calls you home, right? Are we worried? And yet we worry. You're immortal so God calls you home because God is your protector. He destroys the desolators. Spurgeon said, in every place where he has cause and crown, where his cause and crown have been disregarded, ruin is surely followed. Speaking of nations here, there's a nation that turns back on the Lord should it worry about judgment? There's no question. I think God has been very merciful to this country. I don't think he's given us what we deserve yet. Okay, we've got a little pandemic here. Look, think back to the Black Plague. You think God's given us what we deserve? No. Is it coming? Heard from Scripture, it would appear so. Brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns chariots with fire. I think he has in view in verse 9 past his, his past conquerings and also the future. God's defeated the armies. He's broken the bow and shattered the spear. All those things, that, those weapons have been formed against God's people have not prospered. He's broken them. He's crushed them to dust. And he will in the future. He can be counted on. He can be trusted. God will make... All the crooked things straight one day at the final judgment. I think that's in view here. The final judgment. Everything's going to be made right. God, there'll be, there'll be nothing crooked in that day anymore. Are you concerned about injustice? We hear a lot about that now, don't we? Are you bothered by injustice? There is a lot of injustice in a fallen world. We should expect it. Yes, we should fight against it. God's going to bring it. He's going to bring it all to bear one day. He's going to make it all right. And only then will we have perfect justice. Frankly, if we, if we got justice, 
You said, I want justice, and you got justice, what God owed you. <laughs> Boy, frightening reality as to what you would receive from his hand if we got that, right? I mean, does the news fill you with, mass, with fear and mass shootings and racial strife and political turmoil? Does that make your stomach churn? It can, can it? One day it's going to end. It's coming to an end. There's a payday someday. Hey, day, someday, all these things are going to be made right. We don't need to wring our hands about them. And if we get the right man in power, then we'll pay those people back or whatever. No. God's the perfect judge and his justice will be perfect. Perfect. His judgment will be meted out perfectly. He burns the chariots with fire. Hey, day, someday. And yet to his people, he says what? Here in verse 10, be still. Know that I am God. We're frenetic, aren't we, in our activity? I feel frenetic sometimes in all the activity in my life. Just listen. Know that I am God. I'm all the things the psalmist has said about me and more. Reality, all of history can't contain him. All of the, uh, all of the, the, the planets and the solar systems can't contain him. So immense is God. Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 2 speaks of the nations raging against God, their leaders shaking their fists in God's face. But be still, one commentator says here, means to lay down your arms, surrender, and know, acknowledge that I am the one and only victorious God. The time to do this is now while peace may be found through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where we end, isn't it? That's where we always end at the foot of the cross. How can you be still and know that you're God and have peace with your Creator, with whom, by the way, you are at war at if you're outside of Christ? Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus where you can have peace with God. Sin and death cannot, will no longer rule and reign over you. A day is looming someday for all God's enemies. Is that you? Because if you're outside of Christ, let's not play games here. You're God's enemy. Scripture says, you're courting a date with the payday someday. God's judgment. Flee to Him today. Flee to Him through Christ today. Because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Some will do it with rapturous joy. And some will do it through gritted teeth. But all will do it. will bow to King Jesus, nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The enemies of God, to quote a good old rock and roll song, I see a bad moon arising. Trouble on the way. All those who are outside of Christ, be still and know that I am God, that he is sovereign and good, and we can rest in him inwardly no matter what storms blow into our lives. We can say with Job, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. I will count it all joy when I suffer various trials. The bottom line is, verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is why Luther can sing those wonderful verses. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be what? Are you confiding in your own strength today? Are you gonna you're gonna figure out a way to get to heaven someday? You're gonna build a tower of Babel there? 
did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing. He's the strong tower. Luther answers that we're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Just ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, is his name. From age to age the same. He must win the battle. And then he ends with this, and I love it. And it's a good cap, it's a good capper for this sermon. He says, and though this world with devils filled, we've sung it already. I hope you sung it with gusto this morning. Though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can't endure, for lo, his doom is sure. morning, I encourage you to let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. Because the body, they may kill, but God's truth about himself and about the gospel abideth still. His kingdom Father, I don't think I've done this, te this text justice. We've had far too little time. And we've had to hurry at points. But God, I pray that you would bind this to our hearts. That you would use this to instill in us an absolute and utter confidence in you alone. That we run not to the world's means or to the world's worldview. But instead, we would run to Christ when life hits the fan. And find you a sure and certain fortress, a mighty fortress, a bulwark never failing. Give us grace now, those who are here this morning, who, are, who, come, who came here this morning needing to be comforted. I pray that they would be still and know you are God. And indeed, every one of us would do that, Father. We'd find comfort and peace and joy in you today. And every day ahead, as we await your return for your glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.